Joshua chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. So the people shouted and priests blew the trumpet, and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, dear God, we ask for a blessing tonight as we study your word. Father, as we endeavor to glean from it. Father, not just the truths that are in it, God, but the applications that lie in wait for us. God, may our hearts and ears, Father, may our minds and souls be open to what you have to tell us. Through Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's tough preaching on Sunday nights. Because you never really know really what topic to come up with. You know, because everybody's in sort of a different place on Sunday nights. You're kind of rushing around and everything like that. And more often than not, you're thinking about Monday. You're thinking about what's going on. You know, Sunday you're kind of on your A game. But Sunday nights you tend to be kind of, okay, I got this going on. And I got this going on, and I got this going on, and and you tend to think about all of that. You think about everything that you've got to get done, and and all the stresses that wait for you, and all the the battles that you're about to have. And so Sunday nights, you kind of, you don't really want to do anything overly in-depth, especially if you're just sort of the, it's amateur hour, uh, until Steve gets back. So tonight, I just want to talk about victory. All I want to talk about is victory. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6. We're going to look at the battle of Jericho. And again, like I wasn't kidding when I said, you know, you've kind of heard some of this a few times. It's one of those well-known stories. But the problem is, is we're often misguided in how we think of it. Because it makes, and we're all keenly aware of what happened and the marching. In fact, I even mentioned it to Brendan this afternoon. He said, what are you going to preach on? I said, Jericho. He said, well, that's that thing where they had six times, seven times. Well, yep, okay. And off he went. Yeah, because we've heard it. It makes for such a wonderful VBS, doesn't it? You know, we get the kids lined up and we have them march. Because they learn and and, and it kind of keeps them occupied and and they march. And then we have them yell and and, and we make walls fall down. And and it's such a wonderful VBS. And we look at it and, and if you are sort of... You know, just geeky enough to think through physics and engineering and, and things like that. It's, it's amazing to contemplate the power that God brought forth that day. And to get sort of balled up and wrapped around just the sheer power that God had to be able to make the, such a fortified city just fall down at voices. And it's easy to get wrapped around that. And, and that would be a good lesson and that'd be a fun lesson. But oh, there's something far greater than that. I want us to get wrapped around the victory. I want us to look at this not just as this wonderful thing that happened, this physical event that couldn't be replicated or anything like that. It's just, you know, something that is so... I want you to get wrapped around victory. Because if you're like me, every now and again, we just need to dwell on victory. We've got enough things talking to us about defeat... We've got enough people telling us about what can happen and can't happen. And there's enough negativism. I just want you thinking about victory tonight. But the trick is, get your Bible out. That's going to be a trick I can tell already for some of you. The trick is, we tend to read it wrong. 
And I've kind of given it away a little bit, but if I were to ask you tonight to turn in your Bibles to the beginning of the battle of Jericho, where would you turn? Where would you go in your Bible? Because if you go to Joshua chapter 6, you've already messed up. And that's where we tend to mess up. When we think of the battle of Jericho, and we think of the great city, this fortified city that falls down, and we think, where does the battle of Jericho start in the Bible? We always go to Joshua chapter 6. And it's wrong. Yes, that's when we kind of read about it and everything like that. That's when Jericho, but that's that's not when the battle began. The battle began far sooner than that. I mean, the bat- and I want us to look at that tonight because too many times we get wrapped around sort of the, the here and the now of our battles and the here and the now of our victories. And what we begin to understand, if you really sort of let God's word jump off the page at you, it's amazing to look at how God has worked in your life well in advance of the battle, well in advance of the victory. And we think about it in sort of the here and now, and we'll talk about all the things that happened sort of within this past week or within this past month. And we'll talk about the victory as if it just happened a week ago. But the reality of it is God has been working for our victories long before we even acknowledged it, long before we even recognized it. If you really want to understand, you know, the battle of Joshua and when it really started, you could actually start, you know, just a few verses ahead of time. A few days prior to that wonderful day when the walls fell down, when God's people were told how they were going to do it. You know, when God's people were, you know, when it was described, in fact, if you really want to go and and kind of take even a step back from that, go over to Joshua chapter 3. In Joshua chapter 3, God, and we talked about that this, a little bit this morning in Bible class, and, and that's why I'm kind of so fixated on it. You know, in Joshua chapter 3, you know, God is already preparing them for this victory. He just doesn't say so. Because in Joshua chapter 3, what happens is God is asking them to be patient before they cross over. You know, long before the actual battle, long before the actual victory, God is trying to teach his people patience. The battle began when God was involved long before the battle. He was involved at the time of patience. And if you really want to go back, you know, even go back and keep flipping back, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Because the battle didn't just begin in Joshua chapter 5 or 6. The battle didn't even begin for God in Joshua chapter 3. You might want to go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 20 to begin to look at when that battle actually begun. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, God, you know, as they're walking through the wilderness, and many times God set them down and God explained to them how they needed to do things. He explained to them the laws of justice and the laws of, of clean versus unclean and the laws of how they're supposed to handle sacrifices and the laws of how all of this is supposed to take place. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, what God tells them is this is how you're going to fight. This is how you're long before they'd ever heard of Jericho. Long before they were ever going to cross the Jordan. Long before they walked around the city for the very first time, God sat them down and said, here's how we're going to fight. This is how we're going to do things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, look at, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 1 through 4, look at what God tells them. Again, this is long before the battle, 
long before the victory, but God is already engaged. God is already kind of doing something on this behalf. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, he writes, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. Now hold that thought for just a second. Now look back down at that. What is God telling them? Well, let's look at it again. When you, and he's talking about this very active, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. Now he puts a comma there, but notice how he begins this. From the very beginning, as God is talking to his people, before they pick up sword one, before battle one begins, before they even approach the zip code of Jericho, what God is saying is, you are going to see people bigger than you. You are going to see people more numerous than you. You are going to see people more prepared for a fight than you. He goes on to say, and when you see that, don't be afraid. The battle of Jericho didn't start in Joshua chapter 6. You could have to go back all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And look at everything else he tells them. Don't be afraid. What's he say? For the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. Now it should come about that when you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you who are approaching the battle against your enemies today, don't be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid. Do not panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. And notice how he concludes that, to save you. Long before we got to Jericho, long before this great victory, God was already working the battle preparation. Long before any of the Israelites knew what was going on or even when they would cross. So if you really want to appreciate the battle of Jericho, you've got to go back a few chapters. In fact, you've got to go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. In fact, if you really truly want to appreciate the battle of Jericho, go back to Numbers chapter 13. Go ahead, flip on back. We're going to be here a while. You might as well be interactive with me. I'm here all night. In Numbers chapter 13. And again, keep in mind, when we get to Numbers chapter 13, we're very early on. We're a lot more toward the beginning of the wanderings than we are toward the end. Okay, we're much closer to year one than we are year 40. In fact, we're probably right around two years, somewhere in there. And at that point in time, Moses, you know, because of what God asked him to do, they send over the 12 spies. And remember, and we understand that story. And so the 12 spies who have seen God's provisions, the 12 spies who have seen God's power in the plagues and God's power in the crossing of the Red Sea, those, those spies that have seen and witnessed and been a part of great things that God has had, the 12 spies are sent on ahead. Now, we don't know exactly what city they visited. But it could very easily have been Jericho. We don't know exactly what region they went out and sort of looked at and wondered about and, or anything like that. We don't know exactly what, you know, specifically where they were and everything like that. But what we do know is they came back and they said two things. And see, my guess is they probably saw, if, if they didn't see Jericho, then they saw a city that scared them at least as much. 
You know, if, if Jericho was this, this wonderful fortified city, if Jericho was really sort of the place that was sort of, you know, untouchable and, you know, unwinnable, then they either saw Jericho or they saw something even smaller, which scared them to death. But they came back and they said, you know what? It flows with milk and honey. Oh, it's a good land, the spies said, every one of them. It is just as God has said. Verse 27 in, verse, in chapter 13. Thus they said, and we went into the land where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they brought back the, the, the grapes. They said it's a wonderful place. But then they go on to say, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and Amalek is living in the land of Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country, the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the, the side of the Jordan. That was their way of saying, we can't do it. We can't do it. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to do it. And we understand the, how the story ends up. You know, where ultimately then the crowds and the multitudes listen to the 12 spies as opposed to listening to, to Caleb and Joshua. And they finally said, we can't do it. And in chapter 14, we see that God is frustrated. God is upset that they would dare doubt him. And what he says is, you know what? He says, I'll pardon them. In verse 22, he says, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. This is the beginning of the battle. And in the beginning of the battle, God looks at the hearts of the soldiers and the hearts of the people that would ultimately go in there, and God realizes we need to thin things out just a little bit. You know, whether it's part of God's wrath and part of God's frustration. However, God realizes we got some people that don't deserve to taste the victory that I have for them. They have seen my victory over the Egyptians. They have seen my victory over, you know, the, the, the plagues. They have seen me, you know, be victorious in providing them food and water and all of the things that they need. They've seen all these great victories. You know what? There's a group of them that don't need to see this great victory of Jericho. And the Bible goes on to say, he says, everybody over, verse 29, over the age of 20 years and upward who have grumbled against me, he said, surely none of them are going to see it except Caleb and Joshua. And he goes on to say in verse 29, your corpses, the net effect of this, God says, your corpses shall fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men. The battle of Jericho began long, long ago. Long ahead of the actual day that the walls fell down. It began the day that God asked for their patience before they crossed the river. It began, you know, the day, you know, back in the, you know, when they talked about how they were to go to warfare. It began back in the day, here, as God thinned out those that didn't have the faith to fight with God. I guess if you really want to see the battle of Jericho when it began, you might want to turn over to Exodus chapter 2. Long before they even got out of Egypt. Long before they even wandered for the first time. 
Long before that first rock brought forth water so that they could drink. Long before the quail. Long before the manna. Long before the the Ten Commandments. Long before the golden calf. Long before they crossed over Jordan. We see Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 1 and 2 really. And that is they cried out. They cried. In Exodus chapter 2, if you come through 23, as God is talking to Moses. And we see in chapter 1 how we understand how Israel had multiplied in Egypt. And we, we read how the Egyptians did not like the Israelites, kept them captive, and, and just the taskmaster and everything else. We understand how male babies that were born were to be killed and everything that took place. And God heard the crying. For generations this took place. And they cried out. And so in chapter 2, verse 23, as God is talking to Moses, he says, Now it came about in the course of these many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. Now if you stop and think about it, and here's the thing that is so very fascinating to me. And so this battle, this wonderful battle, this wonderful victory, let's just quit talking about it as a battle because it really wasn't much of a fight. I mean, we we talk about it as a battle as if, you know, there was even a fighting chance that Jericho was going to succeed. You know, every now and then we see a match like that, don't we, where, you know, it just really wasn't much of a fight. I mean, we may call it a fight, we may call it a battle, we may even call it a game, but at the end of the day, it really wasn't much of a game. There was just no fighting, just no fight to it. OU fans, you probably saw one of those yesterday. You didn't see one of those a couple of weeks ago, so don't get too cocky. But anyways, you didn't see a fight yesterday. And it wasn't a battle. And so to really call Jericho a battle seems kind of, I don't know, like we're doubting somehow that God could have pulled it off. We should just call Jericho a victory long before that victory. And here's the question I've got for you. And when you get your head around it, you really begin to understand, this is God beginning the victory at Jericho, but he's starting it all the way back in Exodus chapter 2. Because, you know, God is not somebody who sort of works day to day in his miracles. God is not somebody who works day to day in his provisions. God is not somebody who gets up and says, what should I do today? God is not somebody who looks at you and your circumstances or looks at us collectively as a church and says, Okay, I need to think through this. Everybody be quiet. I'm going to make a decision. Oh, from the very beginning. As Toby pointed out this morning, from the very, very beginning, God understood us. God formed us. God fashioned us. And God got us, is getting us and got us and continues to get us ready for our victories. But if you had gone in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2, now, we don't know the answer for this, but I play along with me because I think I'm right. If you had gone to an Israelite in Exodus chapter 1 or Exodus chapter any time before Moses comes and delivers them, and if you said, tell me what a victory would be. If you had talked to them and said, give me an example of what a victory would look like, tell me about a good day. What would a good day be for you? What would a great victory be for you? And if you had asked the Israelites back in Exodus chapter 1 or Exodus chapter 2, if you had asked them any during, you know, in that beginning of Exodus before God leads them out of Egypt, give me your definition of a victory, what do you think they would tell you? For some of them it would be, if I can just wake up in the morning. If I can just live through the day. 
I'd call it a victory. For some of them, it would be if I could just get whipped ten times today. If only ten times the taskmaster would hit me, oh, that'd be a great day. For another one, it might be if somehow I could stumble upon some straw that nobody knew about. And in that straw, and I could just stumble upon it so that I didn't have to walk that extra mile or second mile or third mile to bring straw back. Oh, that'd be a victory. For some of them, it might be, you know, if just this one day it could rain and they could call off work. Oh, that'd be a victory. And then maybe if they're thinking even beyond day one or day two, they might ultimately get, you know, if if I could just have enough food. If just once I could go to bed before the pitch black of night and rest comfortably, oh, that'd be a victory. Those are the kind of answers we'd get from them. They might even get to the point they would say, and, and so if Moses, as Moses steps into the equation, if we said, okay, tell me a victory now, if, they probably, if we could just get out of Egypt, if we could just get out of Egypt, oh, that'd be a victory. And I I point that out because even as you watch them through the wilderness, look at how low they set the bar for victories. I mean, if they could just get something to drink, oh, that was a victory. If they could just get a golden calf, oh, that's a victory. If they could just figure out where Moses went to, oh, what a victory that would be. In fact, at one point in time, victory to them was defined as if we could just go back to Egypt instead of dying out here, that would be a victory. And the reason I bring that up is if you had sat them down, all muddy and caked up and dirty and filthy and smelly, worn out, defining victory in terms of fewer beatings, a little less task, maybe just a little bit more food, and if you had opened up and you sort of kind of talked to them about Joshua chapter 6, and if you had said, let me tell you about Jericho, they would have just rolled their eyes. Ah, they would have laughed you out of their hut if they really physically had enough strength to laugh that hard. And I tell you that because even when, you know, victory was, you know, first of all, not even on their radar, God was at work getting them ready for Jericho. Even back when they were looking at their life and they defined victory here, I mean, they defined victory in such a small way. This is victory. God was setting them up and getting them ready for a victory so far beyond anything they could possibly comprehend. To understand the battle of Jericho, to understand the victory at Jericho, is to go back in time and to watch God's hand and watch God's engagement in that victory long before we tend to give him credit. Certainly long before we give him credit at VBS. Oh, what a wonderful victory. That started generations literally ahead of time. Decades ahead of time. God was still involved years ahead of time. Days ahead of time. And yes, on that one fateful day when they marched for the seventh time and shouted and the walls fell. Yeah, it was a great victory. But to act like that was the first time that God got engaged. Well, that isn't quite true. It's always floored me, and I do it too, how there are certain things we understand sort of in our secular life, that we don't really understand when it comes to our relationship with God. There are certain things, I mean, we will watch the Super Bowl. 
Actually, it's baseball season now. I mean, it's, it's a great time with the playoffs and everything like that. And we'll watch that. And we understand about preparation. We understand that whoever ultimately wins the World Series, it's the Yankees, the Orioles, whoever, it isn't because of the preparation this week. It isn't because of practice last week. It's probably because of something they did last year, a month ago, two months ago, a year ago, for some of them a decade ago. Two decades ago, when they first started swinging a bat. And we understand that process. We understand that growth. And we understand this idea of preparation and and, and, and anticipation of a great victory. We get that in, in sports. We understand that when two teams show up, one of them has already lost. They just don't know it yet because of poor preparation. We understand that, but for some reason... When we open up God's word, for some reason, as we look at our lives and our battles and the victories that God has in store for us, that thought process goes out the window. And we fail to realize not only, I mean, we understand, yes, we need to be diligent. Yes, we need to be be prepared. But what we don't give credit for is the fact that God is working in our lives today to get us ready, not for the battle, but for the victory. Not for just, you know, you know, something that might happen and, and some, some, you know, something that we're going to deal with. Next. You know, he's getting us ready for a victory. God doesn't just get us ready for battles. I mean, that's kind of funny. You know, because we tend to think of God getting us ready for battle. God doesn't get us ready for battle. God prepares us for victories. God is not asking us to go in there and do our best and maybe we win. Maybe God is setting us up for victory. It may not be the victories we want. It may not be the victories the way that we want and in the timing that we want, but all of God's engagement in our lives is getting us prepared for victory. And if you look at the Battle of Jericho and you begin to understand how God and God got engaged in the lives of the Israelites and begin to look at your own life, there's some parallels there that are wonderful. Some parallels there that are great to think about on a Sunday night as you get ready for the victories. Not the battles, but the victories that God has for you this week. And yes, they may be disguised in a battle that you weren't prepared for. They may be disguised as an awkwardness or a set of circumstances that you don't want to deal with. But God is getting you ready for victory. Let's look at that again. We saw that God was... Working with them, and God started the battle just a few days ago, just with patience. What's God doing for you around patience? We are not a patient people. We do not, you know, well, we kind of like patience, but we, when it comes to battles, especially victories, we are not patient people. We want the victory, we want it now, and when victory is within our grasp, when victory is right there, when it's assured even. The last thing that we want is a discussion like Joshua chapter 3. Oh, just wait. Reflect upon the ark. Ponder what God has done for you. But those victories that you've got where God is asking you to be patient, he's doing that for a reason. He's doing that so that you can reflect on everything that he's done, everything that he has done for you, all of the preparation. And even though victory is certain, God is just asking, just be patient. 
just hold on. What's one more day? And God may ask you, you know, in, in your life, you know, to march. And day two, he may ask you to march again. And three and four and five and six, he'll ask you to march. And he's doing that to get you to be patient. Because the victory is already there. He's not waiting to get engaged. You know, God, if we go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 20. As God was involved in the battle of Jericho and the victory there at Jericho, he was involved with it there in Deuteronomy chapter 20, as he told them long before a battle, don't be afraid. And I think he does the same thing for us. I mean, there are battles and there are awkward, there are, there are victories that we don't even comprehend right now. There are things that are going to happen to us, and God knows it's going to happen to us. There are things, things may be going along great for you, and I, I praise God for it. But there's a battle coming up. And just as surely as there is a battle coming up, there is a victory coming up. And God is already working in your life. And even though this battle is a battle that you don't even know about, a battle you can't even comprehend, a battle you can't even possibly foresee, God tells you the same things in your life that he told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 20, when you go against your enemies and you see their numbers, don't be afraid. When you see all that the world is going to throw at you, don't be afraid. It is the Lord who's going to deal with it. And he tells you the exact same things that they told them. You will say and you will want to be scared. And you will see your enemies. And again, he's talking to people that have not yet seen a fight. And he tells us the same thing today that for a fight and for a battle that we have yet to even comprehend. There are health issues. There are relationship issues. There are financial issues. There are all kinds of challenges. There are all kinds of temptations that, that are out there that are going to happen. And you have no earthly idea that they're coming. But God is already at work, and what he's telling you is, don't be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid. Do not panic. Do not tremble. God is already at work in the victories that you've yet to achieve and to realize. Go back to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We've all been there, haven't we? Again, they, could, they understood kind of who their opponent was, but they didn't really know what the battle was going to be. Twelve of them could get a glimpse of what they were going to have to face. But the entire nation had no earthly idea of the battle that was, that was out there. And they certainly couldn't comprehend the victory. Only two of them talked in context of the victory. Ten of them talked about the battle. Two talked about the victory. And God took great issue with that. Is that ten of them would only talk about how big they were and how many there were and how big the cities were. And, but two of them talked about the victory. And I think Caleb and I think Joshua saw the same cities they did. And I think Caleb and Joshua were smart enough that they could count. And they could do the greater than, less than sign and realize that Israelites didn't have too many. They had a lot. I mean, I think that they could handle that. But Caleb and Joshua talked in terms of the victory. And I look at what happened and you know, the way God is there. And, and I watch the way that God does the exact same thing for us. 
And we have just, you know, sometimes in, you are in that boat maybe tonight where you have just a glimpse of the battle that you face. You have just a glimpse of the enemy. You may not even have seen the enemy. You're just dealing with an enemy that someone has already told you about and has convinced you to be afraid. I don't know what that would be like to be under the age of 20 at the time. And to have God say in verse 29, corpses are going to fall in the wilderness. These weren't just corpses. These were family members. These were friends. These were babysitters. These were parents. These were idols. These were people that they looked up to. These were role models. They are going to fall. So that God would bring over nobody, faint of heart, into cross Jordan. And we will go through times like that. We will go through situations. And you know the ones I'm talking about. And if you don't, you will. Where we collectively, you know, we sort of get a glimpse of the enemy that's before us. And sometimes it happens on the family level or on the relationship level. Sometimes maybe at work and sometimes just across friends. And there's just a glimpse of some of the, the, the things that we're going to face. Just a glimpse of some of the troubles and the trials. Just a very, very glimpse of the battle. And it's amazing how we watch them all drop like corpses, don't they? We've known situations where friendships have sort of dissolved. Relationships have dissolved. And you may be in one of those situations, you have experienced one of those situations, or you are going to experience one of those situations. And what you need to understand is God is at work in your life. And even as sort of friends may sort of kind of distance themselves, even as the faint-hearted, you know, sort of kind of, you know, kind of roll their eyes, God is at work. In this victory, not just the battle, but in the victory that you may ultimately, you know, that you will ultimately experience. And that we might look at it, we might be stressed out. Where are all the people going? And what God looks at it is, be grateful unto me that everybody that says you can't is dropping like a corpse in the wilderness. And that we look at it as, well, that friend went away, or that friend went away, or this went away, or that support went away. No, no, no. What God is saying is, I'm just getting the naysayers out of your life. I'm getting all of the people that say you can't, say you won't, say you're too little, say you're incapable, say you're too dumb, you're too stupid, you're not pretty enough, whatever it is. I'm getting them out of your life. I am preparing you for a victory that you don't even see, but you will one day appreciate. God is at work. Exodus chapter 2. Let's close on that one because to me that's probably the one that we need to probably think about the most. Because some of the others we can kind of get our head around. You know, we can kind of, kind of understand how God is at work. But to me it's Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 1. Right there in the beginning. Because we can look at it and it's so easy for me to be very critical of the Israelites. And sit there and just kind of imagine how they would respond. Well, what's victory? Oh, victory is just a day when I don't get beat. What's victory? Oh, victory is just a day when I get this done. What's victory? Oh, if we could just get out of Egypt. And I think about how pathetic it is that they're thinking about victory on kind of this level. And God was getting them ready. God wasn't just thinking about a victory. God was getting them ready to achieve a victory on a far greater scale. 
And I look at that and I go, there's definitely something we can learn from that. How many times don't we define victory that big? When we meet each other in the foyer and when we talk and we talk about victory in terms of these small things, if I could just get a little raise, if I could just get this done, if I could just get caught up at work, if I could just get everybody at home one night a week for dinner, if I could just get this course passed, if I could just get this test you know, aced, if I could just get this homework turned in, if I could just get through the terrible twos, the threes, the thirteens through eighteens. And when we do that, God hears our cries. And that's just it. God heard their cries. But even as he heard their cries, what he heard them crying out for was a victory this big. And so many times we do the exact same thing. We cry out. We lament. We pray face down and we beseech God for victories this big. And God hears our cries. And God hears our prayers. But as God looks at it, what he's saying to all of us is, yeah, I get it. But I'm talking about victory on a far bigger scale. I've got bigger plans for you that transcend what what you're going to make this semester. Don't get me wrong, Brendan, you still have to study. But, I mean, he's got bigger plans than just what's going to happen this semester. He's He's got bigger plans than what you accomplish at work. He's got bigger plans than than what your 401k looks like. He's got far bigger victories for you out there, and he's excited about it for you. In fact, one of the greatest victories that he has far beyond anything that we can possibly comprehend, again, you know, as we are hoping for this much joy and this much happiness and this much certainty, God sent his son for the ultimate victory. In fact, you know, Romans talked about how, you know, 5 verse 6, even while, you know, we were all still helpless, at the very right time, Christ came and died for the ungodly. God has a victory for you tonight. It may not happen tonight. It may be a year, a day, a week, a month. It may be a decade. But God has a victory for you. And what you need to understand tonight about our God is he is not waiting until the day of the victory to be engaged in your life. And if God isn't going to wait until then, if God isn't going to wait until the eve of that victory, then the question tonight is why are you waiting until that battle to rely on him? Tonight, if you do not have the relationship with God you don't have the ultimate victory certain in your life. If you do not have that relationship with, if you are not at one with Christ, if you have not availed yourself of that opportunity, yeah, you may win some battles, but that big victory will always be elusive. Folks, there's no reason to leave tonight in defeat. If you need Christ, come all together we stand and sing.